It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, welcome in to the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. We hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode, part one of the 2012 AL Wildcard Game Rewatch episode with Matthew Pine. And today we're going to bring you part two of that episode as we look towards the end of that game as the Orioles got their first playoff win since 1997. But before we do that, a quick look at our greatest Oriole of all time bracket. In yesterday's second round matchups, we had Brooks Robinson defeating Scott McGregor, Melvin Mora over Dave McNally, Brady Anderson beat Milt Pappas, and Paul Blair over Miguel Tejada. So make sure to go on to our Twitter account, at LockedOnOrioles, to vote in today's voting, the final group of second round voting in the bracket. We've got the one seed Jim Palmer against the eight seed Mike Flanagan, Five-seed Al Bumbry against four-seed Ken Singleton. Six-seed Doug DeCensis against three-seed Frank Robinson. And one of our only upsets in the first round, the 10-seed J.J. Hardy against the two-seed Mark Belanger. Remember, go onto our Twitter, at LockedOnOrioles, to cast your votes for those final four second-round matchups. And then tomorrow, we start with the Sweet 16. That'll be Wednesday. On our Twitter account, got some good matchups there. Boog Powell versus Bobby Gritch. Adam Jones versus Mike Mussina, to name a couple of the Sweet 16 matchups we'll have that will start with the voting tomorrow. But that's that bracket, and today we continue again our rewatch episode of the 2012 AL Wildcard Game with Matthew Pine. We pick up our conversation as we got to the seventh inning stretch, and we start to get to the Orioles' bullpen and talk about how good they were in 2012 and what they did to lock down this Orioles victory over the Rangers. And so he does eventually get out of it as he strikes out J.J. Hardy, but the O's have a 3-1 to lead at the stretch. Um, and then Darren O'Day back in there, and, and you talked about the length he gives. Um, he gets a couple ground outs on Young and Napoli. Mitch Moreland comes in to pinch hit, and he strikes him out. And, you know, O'Day, I mean, he was good really his entire tenure with the Orioles, but it's, you know, you sometimes forget how good he really was at the beginning of that stretch when this bullpen was so dominant in 2012. Yeah, and I don't really factor in pitcher wins a whole lot when I evaluate players, but he did get seven wins for the for the Orioles, and that tells you that he's either extremely lucky or he's in there long enough for them to score runs for him to uh, grab that lead. And and you think about that, that bullpen that they had, and, you know, we didn't see Pedro Strope in this game, but he was there, O'Day was there. You know, you had Mattis to get lefties, and then, you had Jim Johnson, and so O'Day gets through the seventh, and they flash that stat that we heard all year um, for the Orioles, 74-0 and in 2012 when leading after the seventh inning. I mean, it's, you know, you, you'll win a lot of games when you're leading after the seventh. You only got six outs to get, but that stat is just, I mean, unbelievable still to hear. Yeah, and it's for a team that really overachieved. I mean, if you look at their uh, expected wins, it wasn't 93 wins. You know, they they kind of got this ragtag group together and probably had no business being in the playoffs. But like you said, these crazy 74-0 and wins, they, were, they won 11 straight. 
extra inning games on the road. Um, so it's just kind of one of those oddities years. But and and it just felt like it was you know it was guys getting big hits and and pitchers like Joe Saunders pitching above their level. But it really seemed like all year it was the bullpen that 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 really did it for him. I mean, those guys at the back end and they had guys coming through all season who, you know, would pitch in different scenarios and get people out. But the O'Day stroke Johnson combination, I mean, it was maybe the best in baseball at that point. Um, and that's why you win so many extra inning games as well. Yeah, for sure. So they get through the seventh uh, with the three to one lead. And then an old friend, Koji O'Hara comes in in the eighth, of course, part of one of the, bigger trades in Orioles history at least it was for for a couple years that brought him Chris Davis and Tommy Hunter back in 2011 uh definitely made me kind of look back on that trade again because when Chris Davis was 50 home run Chris Davis we, we were thinking oh my god what did the Rangers do now that he's this Chris Davis and Tommy Hunter is I believe no longer in the big leagues but neither is Koji Uehara the trade evens out a little bit more but I would still say the Orioles won that one yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, obviously the production that Chris Davis gave you along with Tommy Hunter and Koji in this game was, you know, he's pretty lights out. He struck out the side and uh, had a pretty nice showing. Uh, I think Orioles fans always love Koji and he was, he was, I think he was, what, he's like you said, tw- traded in 2010 um, or 2011. Was it 2011? I think 2011 deadline. Okay. Yeah. 2011, but he was in there, you know, the beginning of the Buck Show Walter era. So always had a soft spot in my heart for him. Yeah, and he probably, you know, would have, would have been another guy at the end of that bullpen had they held on to him in 2012. But they get Chris Davis and they get Tommy Hunter, and both of those guys were big parts of the team going forward. But he did face Chris Davis, and he came in, struck him out, and as you said, struck out the side, Davis Jones. And Weeders go into the eighth. And then another guy who I almost forgot was an Oriole uh, to start the bottom of the eighth as Chris Davis, you know, he did a— Honestly, you got to give it up to Chris Davis before I mention the next guy. He had to play right field when Nick Markakis went out of the game. And if you remember Chris Davis, he played a lot of third base when he first came over from Texas, but never did he play the outfield. And he was basically the Orioles starting right fielder in important games because you had to DH Tome, but you wanted him in the lineup. And, you know, you had to play Reynolds um, at first base with Machado at third. So Davis was the guy who had to go out and learn right field. And I felt like he played it pretty well throughout that second half of the season. Yeah, he did. I mean, they didn't really have a whole lot of options behind him. They wanted to keep that bat in the lineup. Love to see uh, Lou Ford making an appearance in this game. That was some pretty wild stuff, but especially pinch run. But yeah, uh, yeah they didn't have a whole lot of options in the outfield at that time. But uh, But one of the guys who's just a part of this team and kind of not a ragtag group, but close to it is Andy Chavez comes in to play defense in right field um, for Chris Davis in the bottom of the eighth as a defensive replacement. Andy Chavez was not a bad major leaguer, spent some time with the Mariners, but, you know, kind of near near the end of his time um, with Baltimore and just another guy that you go, wow, that, you know, they they had Andy Chavez on their on their playoff roster and came, you know, a couple pitches going a different way from the ALCS that year. Yeah, there's always a guy on the on the postseason roster. I remember 2014, it was Quentin Berry. Uh, you have all these kind of extraneous outfielders that you're going to carry with you on a playoff roster. So, you know, in, in, a, in a pinch, as you, as you would, um, you know, you can use them to pinch run, maybe pinch hit. But, you know, it's, it's funny to see some of these names going back eight years later. 
So O'Day stays on um, in the eighth inning. The stretch run for O'Day continues. Remember, he came in back in the sixth. He was already throwing an inning in a third. Stays on in the eighth. Uh, David Murphy pinch hits for Craig Gentry. Um, and he gets Murphy. Kinsler singles. Um, and then he gets Andrews to ground out. So there's a runner at second with two down in a 3-1 game. And in comes Brian Mattis out of the bullpen to face Josh Hamilton. And if... I'm not mistaken, was 2012 the year that Mattis made the transition from starter to reliever? Yeah, I believe it was. Um, and obviously they saw what his splits look like uh, from the left-hand side. So, you know, he, he would be the perfect candidate to come in to face a one Josh Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton was 0 for 9 in his career versus Brian Mattis coming into that at-bat, representing the tying run. Hamilton had not had a good day so far. Um, and even the more surprising part, not just that he got him out, but he went fastball, 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 three pitches, all in the strike zone. And the third fastball caught a lot of the plate, and Hamilton just swung right through two of them. And I mean, I've never seen a hitter that good who, remember, earlier that season hit four home runs in a game at Camden Yards go down and look so overmatched by a pitcher like Brian Mattis. Yeah, you almost get the impression that he couldn't see the ball whatsoever, so... Hey, benefit to us, I guess. Yeah, it definitely benefited the Orioles that Josh Hamilton was basically a no-show um, in this game as Mattis gets the big strikeout. And and it, it, it's always funny to me because, you know, the Orioles scored five runs and Saunders played so well. But it almost feels like, and I don't know if you feel the same way, that that strikeout of Hamilton is like the defining moment or kind of the memory from this game. At least it kind of is for me. Yeah, if I had to pick two memories from this game, it would be the Hamilton strikeout and then the last pitch from Jim Johnson to end the game. Um, I think, you know, just Buck Showalter, he just really outmanaged Ron Washington in this game with some of the matchups. And and you, you talk about that right away. I mean, Wash goes to his closer in the top of the ninth trying to keep it 3-1. to one. Joe Nathan, who was coming down to the end of his career there with, with Texas, comes into the game uh, had been really good in the regular season as their closer, but one of those, you know, kind of old school closer things where they might be amazing in a save situation, but they come in in a spot like that, down three to one in the top of the ninth, and just don't have their same stuff. Um, he walks Tomei, strikes out Reynolds, but then Andino just smacks a ball off the wall in left field for a big double. Now, it was interesting to watch. You talked about Lou Ford coming into pinch run. He didn't actually come in initially to pinch run for Tomei. Buck left Jim Tomei at yeah. first base there, and Tomei had no shot of scoring on that double because of his uh, 42-year-old legs. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. A company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale in 2020. If you're looking to lose weight, willpower is key but so is having the right tools. Withings Smart Scales are known for durability and an exceptional user-friendly design. Step on and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS and Android via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Lots of Smart Scales don't have the Wi-Fi option, and it means you need to have your phone on you. But Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, even a local weather report. The scale can support up to eight users and even know who is who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off a Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com for a very limited time. 
Go to withings.com, that's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. Yeah, the uh, broadcasters even mentioned it. They're, they're questioning Buck at that point in time. They're like, you know, he's not going to score on a double, so why is he still in the game? I guess Buck just wanted his bat in the lineup still. I'm not really sure. But, uh, you know, f- thankfully the run did eventually come in to score. Yeah, you actually think about it, though. Uh, the Orioles' top two pinch running guys, Andino already in the game. He had pinch run and stayed in the second. And Chavez was already in the game in right field. So the three guys... Or the guys you had left on the bench really included Lou Ford and then your backup catcher, Taylor Teagarden, who you were not going to put in in any circumstance there just in case something happened to Weeders. But Lou Ford, I don't think known for his speed even, was probably your fastest runner left on the bench. Um, So he does come in to run at third um, with second and third and one out. And Lou Ford actually almost ends up making a big blunder uh, Manny Machado comes up to the plate, second and third, one out, gets that key hit on the line drive into left field. It just got by the glove of Andrus, but Lou Ford was off on contact, and had Andrus caught that, that that was a double play there. So Lou Ford kind of got away with one as he comes in to score the run. Yeah, I mean, say he gets doubled up there, it's three to one going to the bottom of the ninth. Say the same scenario plays out. I mean, it's a little bit more tenuous for uh, Jim Johnson there in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, so Manny gets the big single, and I mean, that was such a great piece of hitting. If you go back and watch that that Manny Machado RBI single, I mean, he battles in that count with Joe Nathan, gets a breaking ball down and away, um, and kind of reaches out and just pokes that thing uh, into left field for a base hit and. You know, even though he was batting ninth and he was, you know, 20 years old, 19 years old at that point, you kind of saw the maturation process begin for Manny Machado in that at-bat. Yeah, big spot. So uh, it came through and, you know, it, it worked out. And it would be his, uh, it would start, I think he had a home run in the in the ALDS. So it would, that would kind of begin his little playoff run that he had going on there. And, of course, they missed him, as you said earlier, in 2014. But then Nate McLeod comes up and and gets a big insurance run. A sack fly to center, scores Andino, um, and makes it 5-1. to one and, and kind of a rough outing for Joe Nathan in the, the top of the ninth um, as they go to their closer, and he's not able to put up the zero. So it goes to the bottom of the ninth with the Orioles leading 5-1. to one and, and in comes Jim Johnson, who had such a fantastic... 2012 season for the Orioles 51 out of 54 um, in saves that year and just looking back to some of the close games the Orioles played all those extra inning games I mean where would they have been without Jim Johnson at the back end of that bullpen yeah it's hard to say I mean he was so reliable I mean he barely walked anybody he didn't really strike out um, a large number of, of batters but he was he was a ground ball pitcher and he got the job done when needed and especially in this game yeah, so Johnson comes in, he gets Beltre to fly out, Cruz singles, and then the game actually had a chance to end on a Michael Young ground ball to second. Probably should have been a double play, but just kind of luck there for the Rangers. They sent Nelson Cruz from first on the play just to you know get into second without a throw and try yep. to avoid that double play, and that's the ball Young puts into play. Would have been a tailor-made 4-6-3. Instead, 
no play for Andino at second. So he just goes to first and extends the game. And then Johnson kind of loses Napoli a little bit. And then I'd forgotten about this. In steps 19-year-old Jurickson Profar with two oh, yeah. on and two down. Mm-hmm. Um, and Profar, he's kind of turned into maybe an, a utility player now, you know, with the A's. Not really a star, maybe even a, a uh, you know, utility infielder, not a starter. But back then, I mean, Texas brought him up and thought he was, you know, the future AL MVP at that point. Yeah, I mean, number one prospect in all of baseball, got Plenty of hype surrounding him for a couple of years there. Um, I mean, almost as much hype as Wander Franco is getting now. And uh, he did come through in that game. And so Profar comes in and, and what I mean, you're 19 years old. You're coming up with as the final out um, in, a, in an elimination playoff game. So, you know, why not swing at the first pitch? You get a kind of a get me over fastball from Jim Johnson after walking Napoli. And he deposits in a left field and all of a sudden, you know, you're up five to one with Jim Johnson. You're thinking there's no chance of this, but uh, Texas gets the uh, the tying run to the plate and and take me through the nerves of of Matthew Pine at that point in 2012. 18 year old Matthew Pine at that moment in time barely could even watch. I think uh, I was having my roommates telling me, you know, pitch by pitch. But, um, you know, it worked out in the end. Um, looking back, it's kind of funny, though, because. It was at Daniel Murphy in the last flyout. Uh, it was pretty shallow, but like at the time, I thought it was like to the fence, and it was going to be, you know, dram- this dramatic ending. But looking back, it was not even close at all. Yeah, David Murphy on the on the one zero pitch, just kind of lazy fly ball to left. There's Nate McLouth, and it was kind of fitting he would make the catch. The guy who the Orioles brought in, you know, midway through the season, helped out because of the Marcakis injury. Um, they weren't getting a lot from from left field. He kind of solidified it hit leadoff, um, and he makes the catch. And Ernie Johnson, you know, with the great call and the magical season of the Baltimore Orioles continues as as McLeod makes that catch. And and I kind of remember back then just just thinking, you know, as I had mentioned at the top, you know, my, the first playoff game I get to watch is the first ever wildcard game. So it's basically mm-hmm. a game seven yeah. um, as your first playoff game. Not a lot of baseball fans can probably say that, that my team's first playoff game I ever watched was essentially a game seven. Um, probably yeah. Orioles and Pirates fans could probably say that around that same time. But um, it was just every pitch meant so, so much. And, and to win that game was was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, that was a wild day in baseball. You had the NL wildcard game with that uh, controversy with the um, infield fly rule. The outfield fly rule. Yeah. Or, yeah. The outfield. There you go. <laughs> so quite the wild day. And not only for Orioles fans, but just baseball fans in general. And so the Orioles win it five to one. And then, you know, seeing the the celebration on the field and Buck almost cracking a smile, he just kind of sat back and, and watched from the dugout. Um, we almost got him to smile, but that kind of, you know, that that was Buck. He, he kind of wanted to, to sit back and and watch it play out. And he was proud of his guys. And then, you know, you were so excited. And then you you I got the thought like halfway through that celebration, like we're going to get maybe five more chances at the Yankees to like really prove we might be a good team. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, but what a day to, you know, have the Orioles be, be a part of baseball trivia, you know, who won the first AL wildcard game. That was the Orioles. And what a oddly put together team. And I know the ending for Dan Duquette wasn't the best um, with the Orioles, but, but that season was, was clearly his best job as GM. And you got to give him props for putting together that roster for him and Buck somehow getting that team 
um, into the playoffs and, and a game away from the ALCS. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, he had not a whole lot to work with. Um, obviously, J.J. Hardy was still there, and Adam Jones was still there, but he, he brought in some names, and um, obviously the Manny Machado move in, in uh, August, September was really huge because that, that provided a big defensive boost, and Cal mentioned it during the game. They, were, they went from worst to first when Manny was brought up, brought a lot of defensive value and excitement to the team. Yeah, so that 2012 team, they win 93 games. They win that AL wild card. Uh, on a future episode, I'm sure we'll we'll break down some of those those ALDS games as well. We'll try to stay away um, from Game Five and Nate McLeod hitting or not hitting uh, the foul pole. But but Matthew, that's what what your podcast is named after. And and before we let you go, tell people a little bit about that and and what you've got going on and where people can follow you. Yeah, sure. So I host my own Orioles podcast called Nate Hit the Foul Pole, exactly what you just referenced. Uh, we actually have a breakdown if uh, Nate did hit the foul pole in one of our podcasts. We do these in-between podcasts called Extra Innings. So it's separate from our regular episodes. We kind of did a breakdown, a slow-mo to see if he did in fact hit the foul pole. Unfortunately, I think he did not. But I could be wrong, you know, just looking at a couple different angles, a couple different replays. But if you want to check out more of our episodes, yeah, we're on iTunes and Spotify and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at mpine, P-Y-N-E underscore. And so last thing before we let you go, the 2012 Orioles, you know, where do they where do they kind of sit in your heart as an Orioles fan? For me, 2014 was so special to win the division. But for me, the 2012 team is still the favorite team I've watched just from what they had to what they did. And I want to know if you feel the same about that team. 100%. They're my favorite ever Orioles team. Not the best Orioles team, but they're my favorite. And they brought the winning culture back to the back to the team and the franchise. And the lasting shot that I have of that season is when Chris Davis picked up Nate McLeod after the one walk-off, ran him all over the field. And it's an image I'll never forget. So what a team in 2012 and our AL wildcard game rewatch. The Orioles beat the Texas Rangers 5-1 to one to move on to the ALDS. We thank Matthew Pine for, for joining us. And Matthew, thanks for taking some time to, as we sit here with without baseball, going down some very positive Orioles memory lane. Anytime. I appreciate you having me on. So again, our thanks to Matthew Pine. You remember he's a writer for... Utah Street Report. He has his own podcast, the Nate Hit the Foul Pole Pod, um, among other things. You can see him all over Orioles Twitter. Um, and he was able to join us to go through the 2012 AL wildcard game between the Orioles and Rangers. What a game it was. A 5-1 to one Orioles win. They advanced to the ALDS, where, of course, they would lose in five games in heartbreaking fashion to the Yankees that year. But we will continue our rewatch episodes as we will get into that ALDS. Now we're we're gonna spare you. We won't watch uh, the three games the Orioles lost, especially the one that hurt the most, Game Three, which really swung that series. But we will do rewatches for Games Two and Four. Got some guests coming up for those episodes in the coming weeks as we get through this time here without sports here on the podcast. But. 
Later this week, we'll have a couple more guests on some episodes. We'll break down our greatest Oreo of all time bracket as we get deeper into the bracket. Again, the Sweet 16 voting ends today. These matchups should get a little bit tougher, and we may have some people on to uh, to debate some of these matchups to help you with your voting as well. Remember, you can go to our Twitter account, at Orioles for the voting. And then at the end of this week, uh, looking to do a mailbag episode. Um, but not just about baseball, really about anything. You know, we're at a time without sports right now, so whatever you want to talk about on the mailbag episode, we will do that at the end of this week. Remember, you can send in your questions by email at lockedonorioles at gmail.com or tweet us at lockedonorioles or tweet me at Connor Newcomb underscore. But again, that's our plan going forward, and remember to hashtag stay home if you can, and we'll give you plenty of podcast content to listen to while you are at home. But this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Now tell your smart device to play the next episode of Locked On MLB. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Thank you.